Okay, good evening everybody. This is part two of uh, the series regarding the Shuvah of Rabbi Gedai Dov Shuvah We just uh, published in uh, the recent volume of Adarom that everybody should really uh, try to get you know, for themselves because it's a wonderful volume with all kinds of great articles and um, features in it as well as a, a beautiful color you know, to look at and to adorn you know, your, your library. Uh, so, uh, we didn't officially have on the schedule anything for this week, so I figured that uh, we would just complete what we started last week in terms of the Chuvas of Rabbi Schwartz on Chaim. So in Simon Ches, Rabbi Schwartz has a collection of uh, Chuvas on Shabbos, Nemonos, uh, Kidneyus, and Libun. So I, we did um, most of the different uh, segments of this Chuva, but we didn't do the part about Libun. Now we know... So when it comes to kasher and kalim, there are two major different types of kashering. There are a number of additional ways of kashering, but the two, um, the two main types of kasher and kalim are hagala and libun. That, uh, as the Gemara says, based on uh, the uh, sugya in Masechus, uh, well, based on uh, the sugya in Masechus, um, Sochim, uh, there, uh, if you have a kli which uh, comes into contact with water, uh, and uh, that's how it's used, so the way that you kasha the kli is through water, through hot boiling water, that's hagala. If you have a kli that comes into contact with uh, fire, uh, so the way that it gets kashered, and this is so all spelled out in Parshas Matos, really in the Torah, the way that it gets kashered is through fire. Fire is libon, and kashering with hot boiling water is hagala. So uh, the, the, what Rav Schwartz was discussing in this tshuva, and this is something which is also relevant to how we go about kashering often for Pesach purposes, except he's not talking about a Pesach situation, is that they have to cater an event or something of that sort uh, in a hotel, and uh, they uh, don't have uh, the wherewithal to use a blowtorch. A blowtorch is really the way in which you would do the most ideal type of libun. If a, a, an oven was used, for example, and uh, there were things that were roasted directly on the oven um, on the oven grates. Uh, then you would require libun uh, gummer, you would require full-fledged uh, libun, cleansing, kashring through fire of uh, those uh, the oven racks and, uh, and so forth. And um, that requires a blowtorch because uh, the temperature for libun gummer is nitzotzot nitizin, which means you need to have sparks, red-hot sparks that fly out from the oven. That can be a little bit dangerous. I mean, I, I have in my life kashit through a blowtorch, and I've lived to tell the tale, but not everybody has. And uh, therefore, it's not necessarily like the easiest thing to kashit through a blowtorch. So there is also something known as libun kal. Libun kal is a lesser temperature, which only requires that if you would stick a, a piece of straw uh, next to, let's say, the outer side of whatever it is that you are kashering, let's say it was a fry, frying pan, something of that sort, um, so then it would be, it would get singed, it would be kash nisra, the, the straw would get singed, it would get burned, and we've scorched in the process, 
In order to reach that temperature, we have tested it because the experts at the CRC are good at testing these things. If you turn on an oven, for example, to 550 degrees for one hour, then you'll be able to achieve the result of Kashinisrav. If you turn on the oven to 451 degrees, um, which is what can cause a paper to burn, um, and so uh, that's, um, that, uh, that temperature will cause a straw to get scorched after two hours. So you could do 451 degrees for two hours. The reason why 451 degrees was chosen was because Ray Bradbury wrote a book, Fahrenheit 451. So Rav used to say that's a good temperature for Libum Kal. Um, uh, but, but, uh, but it takes longer in order to achieve the result with a 451 degree temperature. So the question was that Rav um, Schwartz was asking, uh, that, uh, since they couldn't really kosher with a full-fledged Libun, could they kosher with Libun Kal? Could they kosher with the lesser form of Libun? So he quoted the Agos Maimonios, which in the materials which you're about to receive uh, sometime very, very soon, there's a Hagos Maimonius on the Ramam in Hilchos Machol Sesuos Perak Yitzayin Aloch Gimel, where he uh, quotes um, uh, from uh, the Harav um, Victor Katz. That if you would you simply heat it up with something that needs to be kashed through fire. Um, to the point where it would scorch the straw, so sagi bahaki that would be good enough. So do we paskin like that opinion, or do we not paskin like that opinion? So the Shulchan Aruch can help us Pesach in Simon Tufnun Aleph, which contains most of the laws of kasher and kalim, says that if you have something like a a spit. Um, or you have a, a type of other, or a griddle, which is used directly over the fire. So you need the stand of, of Nitzotzos and Nitzin Mehem, you need the sparks to fly. And then the Ramah does quote this opinion from the Hagos Maimonios. This is in Sif Dalin and Simon Tufnan Aleph. Yesh Mekilim Nislavin Kokak Shekash Nisrav Alabi Bechutz. That if on the outer side of the utensil you would have, uh, if you placed a straw, um, and the straw would get uh, burned up, that would be good enough. So he says, however, the minag is not to rely upon that opinion. If something really requires libun. But there is a second category um, of which, uh, when we sometimes do libun. That second category is if something really requires hagala, really it came into contact with the fire, uh, so it only requires hagala. Or if it was something which was heterobala, which means uh, that it never really had isr go into it altogether. Heterobala could be something which has meat and milk. Meat and milk is also isu, you say. Meat and, mixing milk, meat and milk together, that's asamina Torah. So what do you mean that would be hetero bala? Well, if I generally had like a yeah, meat, let's say, frying pan, a meat frying pan is something which is used directly with fire, and then 24 hours passed, and now anything which was inside of that frying pan is no saint tam gum because any taste or blea absorption would have become a detrimental taste after 24 hours. That's the principle of no time left come. And now I cook uh, some, uh, or I fry some type of a dairy dish. I fry a dairy uh, cheese omelet or something in this frying pan, but it's after 24 hours, so it's actually heterobala, because there was no iser at this point in time that was absorbed. Whatever was absorbed became an osin tam lefgam. So I do have to makashu it, but the uh, Gemara uh, says... Uh, that whenever I have a situation of hetero bala, so 
the Gemara in Avodah indicates that whenever there is heterobala, even if something came into contact with a fire, um, the only type of cleansing, and this helps to explain various Pesukim and Parashat Sab, the only type of cleansing that's going to be necessary is Hagala. So in that particular case, I could do Hagala, but I can also do Libun Kal. I can also do the, uh, the lesser form of Libun, of Kashring through fire, where instead of firing something up to, you know, 900 degrees or so, where the sparks are going to fly, I can fire it up to 550 degrees for an hour, for 451 degrees for two hours, and that's going to be good enough. There's a question as to whether you can always kasha your oven for Pesach in this fashion, because it could be the chametz is considered to be heterobalo, that if I had actually prepared anything in my oven before Pesach, well, chametz, guess what, is mutter before Pesach. That's why we eat chametz all year, because it's mutter before Pesach. So maybe when it was got absorbed with the taste of chametz, even though with chametz, we're machmed, that we say that it contributes to taste after, even after 24 hours, but even though we don't have the nosim of Tom Lefgam Heter, maybe we have the Heter of Heterobolo. The problem with that is that just like the Ramah says that we're not makel when it comes to Libun Kal in general, we're also not makel on Pesach, as Ashkenazim, we're not makel to assume that it's Heterobolo. We say, no, since when Pesach comes around, whatever hummus was uh, cooked in the oven was uh, prohibited, um, uh, be, uh, becomes prohibited, so therefore it's not considered to be heterobala, it's considered to be isurobala. So therefore, you really can't kasher in that particular fashion. But, there is another saving possible grace. And the other saving grace is that uh, there is kind of a, a contradiction between two Gemaras. There's a Gemara Psachim and Daflamen Amid Beis, which indicates uh, that even though um, uh, there are uh, knives that are used during the entire year, that sometimes get placed directly on the fire, but usually they're not placed directly on the fire. So the Gemara indicates uh, that it's okay. Um, you can kasher the uh, knife with roskin, with hagala, with hot boiling water, and you don't need to use the more uh, strict type of kashering of a libun. It's not necessary. But there's a Gemara in um, Avodah that indicates that you do sometimes require libun. So one answer that's given is that um, there's a distinction between hetero bala and there's a distinction between um, isuro bala. Um, but there's a discussion as in the Ramban um, as to whether this is um, really um, the proper reconciliation. The Gemara in Avodah Zarah had kind of like an internal reconciliation between two different cases. The Ramban then brings the case in Psachim and says, what do we do with that particular case? Do we explain that that's really a hetero bala type of um, situation? So he does quote um, one opinion that says that. That's the opinion of uh, the Ravid who says, yeah, in the case of Pesach, it's like a hetero bala, and that's the reason why Hagala works. And the Ramban gives a different answer. And the Ramban's answer is that it really depends upon what is the rov tashmisha, what is the main use that you're going to put the, the knife to during the rest of the year, since the main use is that it's not put directly on the fire. That's why Hagala is good enough. Um, but not that it's Heterobala. Really, it's considered to be Isurobala, like we said, with respect to Pesach. But therefore, you can say, well, one of these two explanations has got to carry the day. So either I say that Pesach is a Heterobala type of situation, 
Or I say that the reason why there's a shita in the Gemara Sakam that says that Asakin, even when it sometimes, even though the the assumption is that it sometimes comes into contact with um, with the fire, um, it can be kashed with Hagal alone, is because we follow Rok Tashmisha. We follow what is considered to be the majority use. So we don't generally rely upon this um, heter uh, to say the Yukash is something according to the majority use. But it could be that for Pesach, it's kind of like a Mimanavshach. That's what Rabbi Yekivegur says. He says, kind of like a Mimanavshach, I have to follow one of these two different explanations that's given by um, the Rishonim uh, towards the Edom Masechus of Odezara. And uh, therefore, um, if I'm going to be Machmir to say that I always have to cash for something that came into contact with fire during the year um, uh, when it came to Chometz, um, uh, with Libun, maybe that's only when it's not Rov Tashmisha. Maybe that's not when this is the majority use of uh, the item. So this constitutes one of the reasons why the CRC is strangely makel. Um, uh, people don't understand. Like, where does this kula come from? They say, we're usually very machmir about everything. But we're makel about kashering ovens that are not self-cleaning ovens. You say, okay, self-cleaning oven, you kasher with libun gummer. You do full-fledged libun and, you know, you run it through a full cycle. You run it through a full cycle. So sparks are going to fly. It's going to reach that highest possible temperature of libun. But many of the ovens that people have are not self-cleaning ovens. They are just regular ovens. Um, that don't have a self-cleaning cycle. And we tell people you don't have to use the blowtorch when you're casting for Pesach. You can just turn it on the highest temperature, turn it on 550 degrees for one hour, and you're done. Make sure to clean it. So you say, what's going on over here? Why are we so mako? So we're mako in part based on this idea of a mimana shock. We say that either you're going to treat, and sometimes even the Mishabur will say, when you're in a bind, you can rely on those opinions that say the Chumash is considered to be hetero bala, in which case you could really cash it through Hagalah. If you can cash it through Hagalah, then you can also cash it through Libun Kao, to the lesser form of a Libun, so that's going to be good enough. But it's also a question of Rok Tashmisho. How is it Rok Tashmisho? Generally speaking, when you're going to cook something or bake something in an oven, you're going to place it on a pan. It's not going to come directly into contact with the racks. It's not going to be. So you'll say, well, sometimes you have splatterings. The splatterings will generally be splatterings of liquid. If there's splatterings of liquid, so then it's not considered to be a medium where I had a solid piece of meat or something which was roasted on the rack that requires libun. I just have something which came into contact through hot water, hot water, oil, whatever. So that could also be kasha through hagola. So therefore, the... Um, so therefore, uh, the uh, only uh, time in which you would have something directly on uh, the uh, the rack, let's say in uh, the oven, uh, would be if uh, you had a splattering of something which was solid that fell on the rack, or I just decided to roast something down, uh, directly on the rack. But that's going to be miyutash misha. That's going to happen very irregularly. So therefore, we say that as far as uh, the majority of the oven chamber is concerned, uh, you're going to be able to kasher it through libun kal because you'll be able to rely upon this combination of considerations that either the chametz was isuro bala or it's rov tashmisho that the majority of use in which anything came into contact with these racks was not by actually roasting something directly on top. You just had 
maybe Recha or Zea, you had uh, some vapors uh, that were going throughout uh, the uh, the oven, but the vapors are not considered to be uh, something which is uh, directly being roasted on uh, the um, on the racks of uh, the oven. Uh, we say, as a general rule, Recha Lab Milsihi, it's not going to be something which really is a serious kashrus concern altogether, and therefore can definitely uh, be kashed through Libun Kal. And that's the reason why we rely upon Libun Kal. Now, the Rashba says something of, you, oh, you have the handouts right now. So, uh, the Rashba says that whenever you rely upon this consideration of Rov Tashmisho, so he says that there is one caveat with respect to Rov Tashmisho, which is a very interesting caveat. One difference between kashering with Hagala and kashering with Libun is as follows. When you kasher with Hagala, you have to wait 24 hours before you kasher whatever is going to be kashered. Because we say that uh, since you're drawing out in the Hagala process, whenever you kasher, let's say, a pot or pan or utensils with hot water, you're drawing out the blios, uh, the things uh, that uh, the, were prohibited absorptions that went into uh, the, uh, the walls of uh, the utensil, they're being drawn out. If they're being drawn out within 24 hours of when they came in, so they're just going to prohibit everything all over again because they don't yet have a rancid test because taste because 24 hours have been passed that they would be pogame, that they would now have a rancid or a uh, or detrimental taste. Uh, so therefore you have to wait 24 hours. But when you kasher through Libun, the general assumption is that you're just burning the thing that was asserted that was a prohibited taste that, that got absorbed into the vessel. You're just burning it in its place. It's not coming out. It's not going to hurt anybody anymore. You're just burning it in its place. So therefore, when you kasha through Libun, you don't have to wait 24 hours. We tell people you kasha through a self-cleaning uh, cycle. You could have served chumet supper that night. Two hours later, you want to kasha your oven? No problem. You don't have to wait 24 hours. You can kasha it right away without waiting the 24 hours. But what... No! So what if we're talking about, not necessarily, well, it happens that's a big mafokus. Most postkims say it's the same for Libun Kal. The truth is, most postkims say it's the same for Libun Kal. The Prima Gadim says otherwise. The Prima Gadim is of the opinion that with Libun Kal, it works the same way as Hagolo that actually draws out the absorption from inside. So you would have to wait 24 hours according to the Prima Gadim. But most postkims don't agree with that. Most postkims say no. It really is. It's a very good question. It really is the same with respect to Libun Kal. It operates the same way as Libun Gomer. It's just burning the Yisr in its place. So you really shouldn't have to wait 24 hours. But, says the Rashba, if one of the reasons that you're relying upon Libun Kal is because you're relying upon Rov Tashmisho, the main use, so says the Rashba, so in such a case, you actually have to wait a full 24 hours because the special dispensation of relying upon um, Rov Tashmisho is only uh, because of the fact that it's not a Ben Yomo to begin with. And uh, that's what he says. If you look at source Ches over here, just assume that we've already explained everything brilliantly in the first seven sources. So uh, he says, uh, so he was asked, about following Rov Tashmisho um, with respect to a, a particular type of utensil. And he says that, well, uh, this is the type of thing that's sometimes used with hot and sometimes used with cold, different uh, types of uh, kosos, of um, uh, 
glasses or other types of drinking utensils. So it normally would only require hadacha, but sometimes it's used with hot. So he says, really you can follow hadacha. Shimena tomir kein lo, then you would be, then it wouldn't, we wouldn't have had uh, this a special din, the Chazal say that certain types of things that you buy from the Nanji would only require a hadacha. Um, rather, he says that um, We follow the Iker Tashmish, he says, um, with respect to um, how we kasher these, um, these kalim. Um, and um, I'm looking for where he says, and uh, because of, the, and the reason why we go after the Iker Tashmish is because of the fact that um, we are relying on it not being a ben yomo. But I don't see it here. But you have to take my word for it. So the Rashba says we're relying upon the fact that it's not a ben yomo, and that's the reason yeah, the why... Line, thank you. Second yeah. line from where? The second, second paragraph. paragraph. Second, line. second line in the second paragraph. Right. Thank you. I knew it was here somewhere. Okay. I'm just... Okay. Tshuva. Meshur sedin nireh. She'enu tzarek ala hadacha kamo she'shenim bebraisa. She'apapish she'pa'avim ha'osim kem. Since it's Eno Ben Yomo, it's going to be Mutter there altogether. And therefore, we have this special dispensation. And therefore, the Chachamim say that because it's not a Ben Yomo, so that's why you could be Mako to follow the Rov Tashmish. So, in those cases that we are following the Rov Tashmish, like in these non self cleaning ovens, that we're relying upon that Zvara to allow you to cash it through Libun Kal. So since we're relying upon um, uh, the Svara of Tashmish, says the Rashba, we only have the right to rely upon that Svara when it's not a Ben Yomo. That's why people always scratch their heads. Every year they say, why is it that we tell people that they have to leave their ovens alone and not use it for 24 hours if it's not self-cleaning? When we tell people that the self-cleaning oven, since it's being kashed through Libun, they don't have to wait the 24 hours. Why is Libun Kal treated any differently? So the answer is because we're relying in part upon this principle of Rov Tashmisho, and that's the reason um, why uh, you have to wait the, 20, uh, the, 24, uh, the 24 hours. Um, and the Mishaburah uh, codifies this Lahalacha uh, in Simen Tapnon Aleph Sifkaton Mem Bab, where uh, he says uh, that you have to, um, uh, the, uh, the, 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 that when the Machaber is Mako to follow Rov Tashmisho, which uh, the Ramah says we generally don't rely upon, but if you know that it's not a Ben Yomo, so then you would have to uh, use uh, the more serious or the uh, more uh, strict type of kashering, which in that particular case that he was discussing, he says, well, it would depend um, if it came into, was uh, sometimes used with hot water, then it would require Hagala B'Klivish on Davka, and if it was used with fire, so it would require Libun Davka. Okay. Um, so Rav Schwartz was not talking about the Pesach situation, but he said, let's figure out if we have a possible cooler. What would be the cooler in his particular case? So he said, look, we don't really follow the Hagos Maimonius to say the Libun Kal um, works across the, um, across the board, but we do see um, that from the Hagos Maimonius, 
that there is a shita that's out there. So Rav Schwartz also always was kind of of the koach de hetera adif, you know, type of uh, personality. So he looked for those who had a heter, and he said, look, it's part of the halakhic literature, so we're not going to throw it out entirely. Maybe we can be mitzarifit um, with something else. So he says, Amnam kimin we should not, you know, rely upon it uh, alone. Um, uh, but he said we can rely upon it in combination with the other svara that I mentioned to you in com- uh, in connection with Pesach, which is not the, the svara of Hetera Bala, but the svara that most of the blios, most of the absorptions that occur in our modern day ovens are occurring through Recha Milsa, just because uh, there's, you know, taste that's wafting around in the air, but we don't actually have actual roasting taking place on most of the grapes. So therefore, since he says that it's mostly a recha, uh, a recha type of situation, where miyika or din, we really pass in the recha lab milsi, and that there's even an opinion out there that says that you can use, you know, dairy and meat after each other in the same oven, that it doesn't really uh, contribute a lasting uh, taste. Um, uh, so he says that uh, on the basis of these types of uh, considerations, he would uh, be the mako um, uh, combined with the fact that the ovens in question are eno benyomo, in which case it's only sort of a derabundant consideration because all of uh, any kind of prohibited tastes that are in these ovens, I mean, here we're talking about kashering treif ovens, mamish, just to give you a sense of this cooler of Rav Schwartz, but he says it's an eno benyomo, so any tastes are all going to be detrimental anyway, so he relies kind of on that severa to say, im came b'shela seno, to have number one eno benyomo, ukimat i'ef shalasos libongoma b'cholat tanuim, it's an impossible situation to do a blowtorch kashering with respect to all of these ovens that are in the hotels um, if you don't want to like blow up, you know, the entire hotel with everybody in it, when we call makom, osim libun kagashitas agos maimonius, but you are doing some sort of libun that works at least according to somebody. It works according to agos maimonius, so he throws that into the mix. Therefore, he says mutzal chatzkila lasos haki, and he brought, you know, some sort of a raya from a cookie pan situation where you find a similar kula, which is mentioned in the, um, which is mentioned by the Mordechai whenever you have an eno benyomo situation. Um, so again, you see the methodology of Rav Schwartz, but this methodology was not only utilized in this specific situation to give a kula with respect to, you know, the kashering of hotels for weddings and things of that sort, but as I pointed out, it's also very relevant to the way that we approach the kashering for Pesach, where it's fair to say that, you know, many, many people, you know, throughout the world will look at the CRC kashering policies, um, and our list of how do you kasha this, how do you kasha that, what's kasha for Pesach, what's not kasha for Pesach. So this is also part of uh, the uh, thought process and the methodology in terms of the distinctions that we draw between the self-cleaning and the non-self-cleaning ovens on Pesach and why we allow the kashering and non-self-cleaning ovens with Libun Kal. Not everybody was so sanguine about this. Some did not accept the Rabbi Akiva Eger, which, by the way, is his source Yud in your uh, materials. Um, which says uh, that it's sort of like, I mean, Manavshach, when it comes to Pesach, either you follow the Svar of Hetero Bala to allow, you know, Hagal or Libun Kal or the Svar of Rov Tashmisho. Um, some say that, no, maybe there was like, you know, other answers. 
um, uh, to explain uh, sort of why it is um, uh, that we would allow uh, the uh, the knife that occasionally comes into contact with a fire uh, to be kashered with um, with hagala alone, and maybe you don't necessarily uh, rely upon uh, those two answers. Maybe there's uh, another. Uh, maybe there's another answer. Um, uh, that could be um, uh, that, that that could be uh, given that we distinguish between uh, small uh, uh, knives and, and, and large and, and, and very large knives. Maybe the large knives require liban and the small knives don't require liban. That the only large knives are used in connection with fire and not the small knives. And that's how you can potentially distinguish between the two sugyas. So, so there were certain poskim that were not so comfortable relying upon this heter, but the rova olam uh, relies upon it, and that is the um, and that is the CRC. Uh, practice, uh, that's the CRC practice as well, um, uh, with respect to, to these matters. Also, if you take a look at the Sharetzion in um, source Yud base over here, so he points out that, that uh, there is a um, another consideration. What's the other consideration? The other consideration is uh, that, custom, that sometimes you have, they had like these tin plates, the Ka'arosha B'dil, where they sometimes would bake cookies or, uh, inside of these, um, these tin plates, um, and uh, they were Enlo Takana, Lalabno, you uh, they really will never be able to be kashered because you have to do Libun and they're gonna fall apart. If you know that they're not a Bnei Yoman, again, relying on that Enam Bnei Yoman argument, then you would be allowed to rely upon the, uh, the, first, um, the first opinion, which is uh, the uh, first opinion that we mentioned uh, over here. This is uh, the opinion uh, that um, if you're dealing with a uh, something where you had rove um, uh, where you had rove tashmisho as I mentioned earlier. Um, so the Machaber held that you could follow Rov Tashmisho. So then you are allowed to rely upon Hagala Lachatkila because of the Chen Roy Lahoros in a situation where it's simply uh, where it's simply impossible. So you know you could certainly argue that. Um, in the ovens that we're talking about, we're dealing with an impossibility. Now let's talk about Simon Yud. Yes. This is always on my mind. Yeah. If someone cleaned their barbecue grill the best they could clean it and threw it into the oven because the oven is considered to be legal gummer, would it would we be able to kosher a barbecue grill that way and, and use it? If you did Libun Gomor? If you put it into your oven and self-cleaning, you're saying no, self-cleaning. Self-cleaning. self-cleaning, you could kosher anything pretty much with self-cleaning. So you could, you could do your grills from your... Pretty much. I mean, you can kosher, right, you can kosher anything, let me put it this way, anything that requires Libun, you can kosher with self-cleaning, for sure. Okay. Yes. I think the question is a little more complicated than that. The, the grill, you'd be able to kosher, but the inside, inside barbecue... It doesn't matter. Leap and Gummer is going to burn out. It's going to burn everything on the spot. No? Only thing that's being placed in the self-cleaning oven is the grill. The whole thing inside here. Anything that is not placed in the self-cleaning oven doesn't get right. right. So I'm just saying that. Right. Right. Whatever you put inside gets kashered. Whatever you don't put inside doesn't get kashered. Don't use it. You can use it standing alone. Whatever went inside of the oven. So it wouldn't help. You can't put it back together again with whatever you took it off from. It wouldn't help to put the frame. Thank you for clarifying the question. It wouldn't help to cover the frame. Foil, obviously, as well. 
Um, no, we're not going to rely yeah. upon that. Okay, so um, Simon Yud talks about making Havdalah on an electrical candle, okay, which is uh, an electric candle, uh, electric light. Can you make Havdalah on an electric light? So Rav Schwartz quotes from uh, the Rugged Shavagon, who was asked about this question, and the Rugged Shavagon, a paskin, that you are allowed to, and this is a kind of like a very interesting, controversial issue, because there are two different area, uh, cases, really three, where this Shiloh gets discussed. One is in terms of lighting Shabbos candles, okay, on Friday evening. And the second is in terms of Havdalah. And the third is Havdalah Hanukkah candles, which, you know, we just, you know, uh, uh, celebrated Hanukkah. So uh, the, 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 the case where you find the most kula is actually lighting Shabbos candles because there isn't necessarily a require for fire, requirement for fire. When it comes to lighting Shabbos candles, Shabbos candles is for Shalom Bayis, Oning Shabbos, Kavod Shabbos. As long as you have light, you have light, so it should be good enough. So you find a number of poskim who are very, very makel when it comes to, to lighting um, the, the electric, you know, lights uh, for uh, for Shabbos candles. Because they say we don't really need a fire altogether. So uh, even my own Rebbe, uh, Rabbi Willett Shlita says a fluorescent, you know, uh, light would be perfectly fine because you don't need even a filament. You don't need fire per se. For Shechter Shlita. Uh, Another Rebbe of mine, my Rebbe Mufak, says uh, that uh, you do require at least a, a filament, an incandescent bulb, um, because you're doing a hadlaka. Maisa hadlaka requires, you know, some sort of a fire, and therefore um, that, that would be required. But you, uh, but Rav, 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 um, Rav Willig is in good company. There are a number of uh, poskim who are mako uh, with respect to the electric lights um, uh, for, uh, for Friday afternoon based on the argument that you don't really uh, need um, a, a fire per se, but just, you know, any kind of candle would be good enough. But Rabadi Yosef has a chuva about this where he is, um, he is actually uh, makel. Uh, about uh, this particular issue, but only with respect to, to lighting candles for Shabbos, not with respect to Havdalah. What not are with they respect doing to Havdalah, because Havdalah, you have a number of different considerations. You need uh, you need a fire, and um, you um, and, and and also you're not supposed the Gemara indicates you can't really have any kind of a separation between you know the fire that you're looking at and the light that's giving off. It has to be a very clear fire. If it's something which is frosted, let's say I even have a frosted incandescent bulb, so that's going to be a problem. Um, and ideally also for a Abdullah candle, it's supposed to be a torch. It's supposed to be an abuka. You don't really get an abuka effect when you just you know light a um, uh, when you just light an electrical an electric light. Um, and um, uh, also some say with Shlomo Zalman Orbach, for example, says uh, that uh, it's going to be a problem uh, if you don't light it the way that Adam Arishon lit the original fire on Motzei Shabbos, where he, you know, he basically rubbed stones together and got a fire. So if it's not produced in similar fashion, you're going to have a problem. And Rabbi himself says that even if you have any kind of separation, it could be a nashashis, you have um, a, where you don't have a direct um, a fire, you don't have a direct view of the light that's coming out of what it is that you're flicking on, but there's some separation. You have a bulb in between, even if it's not a frosted bulb, um, that's going to constitute a separation based on a Yushalmi. It's going to be a problem. So you have the, the, the so with Havdalah, you have a lot, a lot of problems. A lot of poskim who say that you have, uh, that it's not going to be good for Havdalah. And that was the Shiloh that Rav Schwartz was uh, dealing with. But Rav Schwartz, 
um, uh, brings uh, first and foremost the opinion of the Rogachev. I'm sorry, Marshall. What do they do in hospitals today? So in hospitals, uh, hospitals is kind of like uh, uh, an, an issue because you, right. uh, you can't necessarily light a Havdalah candle. So what you could do is rely upon those shitos that say that it's really considered a file. Again, Mephaim Ozegorzhinsky famously held that any kind of an electric light is a real fire and you be chayev before Havdalah uh, on Shabbos, for turning on an electric light, and in order to underscore that point, so people should understand that this is really the halacha, he would bedafka go out of his way to make havdalah on an electric light and make the bracha. Okay, so even if we don't rely upon that lechatzila, <coughs> certainly b'diyevit, a person is in a situation where that's all they can do. They could do the electric light, but it's recommended suffik brachas lahakel. Unless you have a strong tradition, there are those who quote Rav Chaim Brisker. Rav Chaim Brisker supposedly did exactly the same thing as Rav Chaim Ozer. And others say they got confused. They did Xerah Shava of Rav Chaim Rav Chaim. And they thought that was the Shita of Rav Chaim Brisker. But no, it was really just Rav Chaim Ozer. We don't really have a strong tradition within the Brisker family that this was a practice of, it was quoted by others outside of the family, that this was a practice of Rav Chaim Brisker. So it's not 100% clear that it was the practice of Rav Chaim Brisker. So anyway, Rav Schwartz starts off by quoting the Ragachever, who certainly was, um, who, who says like this, he was asked about this question, and he says, Vahora, that's the third line, the Ragachever Gun, Rav Yosef Rosen, Paskin, uh, Lakula, Vahora, Deshari, Levarek, Lav, Motsi, Shabbos, Kodesh, Dai, Eshu, he held like Rav Chaim Moser, it is considered to be uh, an Esh, but he held in the opposite direction. He was only Mako, on, on Motse Shabbos, but he wasn't Mako on the Friday evening, which is sort of the opposite of kind of the the, the, the tendency of most well, postkins to be more Mako. But he says, because there he says, instead of saying Barei Merea Esh, you're saying Lahadlik. And it's not Lahadlik, it's not a Hadlaka of a putting, uh, of kindling a flame per se, when you're um, lighting an electric light, it might have a din of ash, so you could say borei merei ash, but it's not a hadlaka. It's an ash without a hadlaka. Only the Rav could say something like this, um, but that's what he said. The brach with the hadlik name is Edlo Chashib Madlik. Okay? Um, so, uh, but then he quotes, you know, others as well who are make about this, and he quotes the Tzitz Eliezer. Now, one thing of Schwartz was very fond of the Tzitz Eliezer. Many of his Jews, he quoted from Eliezer Yehuda Waldenberg, uh, he liked him, he liked his style, he liked his learning. Um, I think the Tzitzel also tackled many practical modern-day applications in terms of modern medicine and halacha. He dealt with a lot of shilas having to do with the Medina, of how should the Medina conduct itself, something that was uh, very near and dear to Rosh Schwartz's heart. So he was very fond of quoting the Tzitzel um, and he also was makeal about uh, about lighting and even making a bracha on near chashman electric lights on Motzei uh, Shabbos. And even though you do have this issue of uh, the intervening zechukis, which we know um, can be, um, which 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 you know is, um, if you look at source uh, Gimel in the Yabia Omer, even though he was a big uh, makeal uh, with respect to hadlakas uh, neiros for erev Shabbos. But when it came to uh, Motzei Shabbos, he was much more um, circumspect about this because he quotes from the uh, Yerushalmi, the Ne'er B'Soch Heiko B'Soch Panos B'Soch Aspaklaria, if you do not see the, the light directly, there's something intervening. Um, so then, Eino Mivarech, Ad Shiras Esashel Heves, Umishtamesh Laora. And even though the Tzitz Eliezer in Source of Base, 
um, says that maybe it really depends on whether I'm dealing with a regular fire, which I normally see without interruption, or whether I'm dealing with some other type of a flame, like an electric light, which normally is encased in something like a bulb. So he says maybe, you know, that's a different story. So this is the second paragraph of the Tzitzeliezer in source base, which would seem to be a problem according to the Yerushalmi, he says that, um, first of all, there are those who disagree with the simple reading of uh, the Yerushalmi, um, but uh, secondly, he says that maybe since this is the nature, it's the natural nature, the natural uh, way for this light to shine, for this fire to shine, so he thought that uh, maybe um, uh, that would uh, be uh, perfectly okay. So the Yabi Omer of Rav Abayi Yosef, who uh, had a lot of um, respect um, uh, for uh, Rav, um, uh, for the Tzitz Eliezer, so uh, he um, he quotes what the Tzitz Eliezer uh, says, uh, but uh, he says that he's not um, he's not convinced uh, that uh, this is really. Uh, a, a winning argument. Take a look at source uh, Gimel over here. He says uh, that, first of all, he thinks that the Mishnah Brewer is on his side. So go about five lines down. She's custom of a Mishnah Brewer. Even though you can see maybe even through a glass. Shetiknu Chazala Bria Saor Motzei Shabbos Lo Tiknu There's a special Takana that you only make the Bracha Borei Mireish Kishaor Galoi Below Kisoi Without any Kisoi uh, Whatsoever See he was Machmir Even if it's not frosted Even if you're able to see uh, Through the incandescent bulb Very very clearly uh, He was um, He was He was Machmir about uh, this case uh, and, uh, and And he quotes from Shlomo Zom and Orbach he says, if you take a look at the bottom of the page, V'chem Ra'isi, Achar Zeli Didi HaRaba Go'on, Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach, Shekasev La'Ore B'zeh, Shelo Levarech, Al HaChashmal, B'motzei HaShabbos, Mishum Shehazuchukis, Mavsek, is because of the fact that you have the, the bulk uh, that intervenes uh, between the fire and your, uh, and your eyesight. Um, so, uh, therefore, he's not impressed uh, and then he says, Umashe, Kosov Od, Hatzitz Eliezer, that uh, the fact that this is the normal way of, uh, of looking at electric lights, um, so he says, uh, and he quotes a bunch of people, so Ravadi Yosef says, I can also quote a bunch of people, uh, don't try to outdo me by quoting lots of people, I can find lots of people in the other direction, if it's going to be a battle of the numbers, I can win that battle uh, as well, so therefore his bottom line is not to make the bracha, so how is, what's the conclusion of, of Schwartz? So Schwartz also had tremendous deference for the Yabiya Omer for Ravadi Yosef. So the last paragraph of the Chuva is Ayem Yosef Yabiya Omer Shevik Levar De'en Levar Klal Shum Neal Kashmak Kimen Shemachusim Mesukukis Baby Gamkein Diber Etzit Seliyesim Komakam Pasuk Kimen the Pligi Vizes Topic Brachos LaHakel. So Schwartz basically is saying that as uh, you had mentioned, Marshall, you're in a bind, you're in the hospital room, use it. You probably don't say, but I'm not going to go out on a limb to say make a bracha. Okay. Now next Chuva Sim Yud Aleph. In the hospital, you could just. 
That's correct. That's correct. That with, with Hanukkah candles, of course, similarly, you have another consideration of someone's almond spoke about, which is it has to last for half an hour. So when you light the electric lights, it's all dependent upon the electric company, you know, whether, you know, they're going to keep it going for half an hour. They have to, you know, keep it going every single second. They could decide to turn off. It's not in your control when you turn it on. So therefore, Rabbi Shlomo Zaman was more prepared to make it with a flashlight. So he said, use a flashlight so then it's possible you might be able to recognize you go on an airplane or something, you can't otherwise light, you can't appoint a shliach, so just turn on the flashlight. I don't think he would necessarily said to make a bracha, but you know, at least you know so to turn Friday on the flashlight is shy up that you might be yosei, but not with otherwise electric light. Yeah. He actually would allow it. I wasn't sure if he would allow a bracha. And I know that he would recommend that you could actually light and a flashlight because the flashlight has the battery. Right. So some say with a Havdalah candle that if you, you know, use a... Uh, if you use a battery, you know, so uh, maybe that would also be, you know, uh, any, uh, better as well. If you had some sort of like an incandescent, non-forested, you know, light bulb um, that also was generated through a battery, yeah, so maybe you have all the you have all the right? Yeah. Company turning off the power. Right. So some say that because it's such a mil- such a mil- really it is within your power when you're turning on the electric light because they're not going to turn off. So some some do say that's so. Friday yes. night is less of a problem then in terms of a woman venturing. If she's in the hospital? Friday night is less of a problem. Right. There's more room to be made um, Friday evening. Right. Okay. Yeah, and it sounds like even with the broccoli would be perfect. And, and even with the broccoli would be perfectly would be perfectly fine. Now in Simon Yudab he deals with a common Pesach situation, which is that you have a product where uh, there is some sort of alcohol that's in the product, often ethyl alcohol that's distilled from uh, that is uh, distilled from chametz. Um, and uh, now the question is, uh, what does it do to uh, the um, uh, to, to the product uh, overall? In terms of your ability to be able to uh, to use it, there's a suffix. There's a suffix as to whether it came from alcohol. I'm sorry, a, su- a suffix as to whether it came, um, whether it's petroleum derived or whether it's chumitz derived. It is alcohol, but it's a, but it's a suffix whether it's uh, coming from petroleum or whether it's coming from from chumitz. And it's also mixed together with other uh, with other ingredients, uh, and you're using it. Basically, these are uh, not necessarily things that are going to um, to be eaten uh, altogether. Uh, but but uh, these are products. Sometimes uh, these might be deodorant products. You know, things of that uh, variety uh, that are a little bit liquidy. Uh, since it was <coughs> what we call denatured alcohol, it could potentially be reconstituted. And it could become edible when it's mixed together with other ingredients or it's reconstituted to its original state. So what, what do we do uh, with these uh, types of products? If it's uh, One thing, if it's uh, we're dealing with deodorant, uh, but some of these things are actually used uh, for uh, for medicine. So let's say I have a cholashiyeshbosakana, somebody who's in the throes of a death um, life-endangering situation where they're, you know, uh, lying between life and death. So obviously we're going to be make of a sakana for pikuach nefesh. But let's say it's a cholashiyeshbo sakana. So here he's talking about specifically when we deal with medicines and the like. Now we all know that the CRC has a certain policy when it comes to medicines on Pesach. But generally our policy is that you can take a cholashiyeshbo sakana can take medicines on Pesach if they have 
no type of taste whatsoever. You're just going to swallow them. Okay? You're just going to swallow them. You take a look at source uh, 6 on page 6. All pill or non-chewable tablet medication with or without uh, comments that one swallows is going to be permitted. Okay? If it's medication, the person needs it as medicine, this is going to be permitted. If it's candy-coated pills, it might be an exception to the rule, but they're uncommon. Um, uh, but then we have the question of liquid and chewable medications. Liquid and chewable medications are a different story because of the fact that some say that they try to make liquid medications, even if it's really, really yucky, they try to make it in such a way that it's, uh, you know, edible. That a person, you know, would not uh, find the taste to be absolutely despicable. Since the general standard on Pesach is that it has to be Nifsel Mechilas Kelev, um, so uh, there's a concern uh, that then uh, it might actually uh, be uh, be usher. Why would it be usher? So uh, as a general rule, we say that something which is destroyed from edibility before Pesach is not going to have the normal din of normal laws of chametz in terms of ba'yiro ba'yimotzi. If you look at the rush, right? The rush imsachim um, uh, source base. On page 5, um, it's commenting on a Gemara, Imsachim Dabkof Aleph on the base, that talks about if I have some sort of a Chometz that was Karcho Kodem Zmano. It was completely singed before Pesach arrived, so then we say that it's going to be Mutzah Bahanai even after the arrival of Pesach, you don't have to get rid of it. So the rush is Mendayak, haha, it's Mutzah Bahanaso, yeah. Um, however, Yeshirot Simloma, second line, Some want to say you can even eat it. But he says, no, no, no. Since he's eating it, therefore it's going to be also. So the Rosh applies the principle of anybody know what's the principle? Akshabe. It's the principle of Akshabe. The Mishabur codifies this as well as Simantop Membes and Hilkos Pesach that even if it's something which is really inedible, but if you're going to eat it, then you show that you could still consider it to be food, so you're not allowed to eat it on Pesach itself. So the Rav Moshe Feinstein, in source Gimel over here, talks about what if it's medicine. It says, You're worried there might be some chametz. That's basically the shaila that Rav Schwartz was dealing with, with this alcohol-derived product. Didn't know whether it's chametz-derived alcohol or whether it's petroleum-derived alcohol. And it was for the recovery from surgery on an internal organ. So says, this person's in Sakana, so he better take it no matter what. But even if he wasn't in Sakana, what about Akshave? What about what the Rosh says? He says that if it's only being taken for a fua, you can't say that it's Akshave, that he shows that he considers it to be edible. No! He's not eating it because it's edible. He's eating it because the doctor's making him eat it. You know, the cod liver oil, whatever. Even if it's something disgusting and despicable, people are going to take it for a force. That's going to be okay. This is a little bit different from the formulation of the Chazon Ish in Orachayim Simen Koptez Zayin Sipkot and Ches. The Chazon Ish famously says, well, if it's medicine, he doesn't say that if the whole thing is Chometz, you'd be allowed to eat it. He says that if it's basically medicine where the Chometz is an inactive ingredient, and it's just there for binding purposes and the like, 
But the main active ingredient is not chometz, so you can't say that the chometz is an akshave ingredient because it's only an inactive ingredient and the whole thing is for medicine. Um, but Ramosha seems to go even further and seems to say, oh, you right. could just take it, you know, all together. Again, assuming that it's a dover mar and a dover mo. So, of course, Ramosha, Rabbi Schwartz, starts his chuva right here um, with uh, the quotation from Ramosha Feinstein. <laughs> And he quotes from the Tzitz Eliezer as well. The Tzitz Eliezer, of course, quotes the Chazanish. That's in source, uh, hey, so you don't need me to actually bring the Chazanish because he quotes the Chazanish where he has little O space over there. The truth of Shiespam Chomets that if you have some Chomets uh, that it's mixed in, particularly if you're relying on the Chazanish that it's an inactive ingredient, um, so then, it would be mutter, and you don't have to worry about akshave because it's something which is, you're taking for the four uh, purposes. So, we did not go so far as to say that we're going to apply this kula across the board with respect to every single liquid medication because, number one, it might depend on whether you're relying on Ramosha, whether you're relying on the Chazunish, and number two, it might depend on to what degree the substance in question is really inedible or maybe it actually tastes good. Maybe it actually has a good taste. So that's why in our Pesach medication letter, we don't give an absolute um, prohibition and we don't give an absolute dispensation when it comes to the liquid and chewable medications. What we say very wisely and judiciously is that if they may contain comments, they should be used only in the direction of our doctor and rabbi who will judge the severity of the illness, the likelihood that the medicine contains chametz and the possibility of substituting a swallowable pill. But then we also say, you know, kind of like to correct ourselves that we shouldn't end up killing anybody. Please do not discontinue use of any liquid chewable or any other medicine without consulting with your doctor and rabbi. And that's kind of how we navigate this a very sensitive issue. But what you can see from Rabbi Schwartz is that he was comfortable certainly with the sheet of Moshe when you're dealing with number one, something which is you know, pretty much, you know, not terribly edible. Um, and number two, where, you know, that's basically what we're talking about. We're talking about where it was nisbat l'mishem ochel, where something happened to it that it wasn't really being used in a way that's tasty anymore. And number two, it's a suffix. He says we're dealing with a suffix. And number three, he says that whenever you have alcohol distillation, there's the opinion of the Mishnah's Yaakov. What did the Mishkanas Yaakov say? I can guarantee you the Mishkanas Yaakov um, of Yaakov Mikhalin was not talking about eating anything, okay? But he was drinking anything. But he was dealing with schnapps, okay? Schnapps, beer, derived from barley and the like, that a person did not sell their schnapps, okay, before Pesach. And they have like thousands of dollars worth of schnapps and it's after Pesach. So says the Mishkanos Yaakov, this poor guy, what's he going to do? Is he, are we going to say, it's all Chomet Shavol of a Pesach and he has to throw it out? So the Mishkanos Yaakov says, no, no, we're not going to be so mean about it because there is an opinion, he says, of the Rebosh, which is not at all anything that the Rebosh said, but the Rebosh, he talks about Zea. He talks about if you have distillation of a whiskey or something of that variety. So he says, it's still going to be awesome in the case of Stam Yenum. So says the Mishkanos Yaakov, ah, Stam Yenum. It's going to be Yasser, but because Mashma, everything in every, every other case, it's going to be Mutter. So therefore, the Mishkanas Yaakov says that because that's the Mashmas of the Rivash, I don't know if everybody reads that into the Rivash, says since that's the Mashmas of the uh, Rivash, therefore, he thinks that, that you can, uh, I think it's Simon Reish Nun Hay in the Rivash, I don't, you know, hold me to that, I think. Um, so therefore, he says that, that you could be uh, Mako, um, uh, taking, uh, in the case of Chomet of Lava Pesach, which is only a Chumad Rabban in any way to say the person can't use the Chomets that was not sold before Pesach, so then it could be Mako to get Hanor from that Chomets, from that, excuse me, from that Schnapps, 
um, that, that was derived from base from Chumchumis when it went through distillation, so maybe it only became Zeah. So if Schwartz throws that into the mix as well, then he says that because this was also a mice of distillation, so it's like the distillation of uh, the uh, of the schnapps uh, from the chumitz, where you have the svar of the Mishkanos Yaakov, even though that svar was certainly not for purposes of eating, it was only for purposes of Hanah, and only for purposes of Hanah after Pesach, when it's clearly only the Rabbanan, um, uh, but he throws all of that into the mix uh, to um, uh, to be makeup. Okay. Um, we only have a few more minutes, so yes. Right, that's a very good question. So when you're dealing actually with a denatured alcohol, it's not as clear that Ramosha would be Mako. Ramosha would more be Mako when you're dealing with a type of a Komitsa situation um, where it was not denatured alcohol. Um, and Rav Schwartz is kind of, you know, uh, throwing that into this alcohol situation and saying, well, since this became, um, this became disqualified from Machila, sometimes you can have a denatured alcohol situation where the way in which it's mixed together, it's never ever going to be reconstituted. It's not really a possibility. So he could have been relying upon that. But the truth of the matter is, even if he wouldn't have relied upon Rav Moshe, he could have relied upon the Chazunish, which is what he's quoting, at least from the um, from the tzitz, uh, from the Tzitz Eliezer. Um, the other Rav Moshe, which is Source Dalit, Chayla Gimel Simon Samak Beish, um, deals with uh, the, um, uh, the uh, he, he mentions. Um, that one of the other requirements is that the bittel obviously has to take place before Pesach, um, and then on uh, Pesach um, uh, itself. Okay, um, but then he gives uh, some sort of a, um, a svara that for Makom Tsar Gadol, it's not being taken there, Kedar Chanasan, where a person's not eating it, they're just smearing something um, that had some Chomet's uh, ingredients in it that a person might even be able to be Mako when it's manufactured on Pesach. Um, the source uh, Yud base deals with Hamdas Gedeva Shamarak Alablek a very fascinating question about Erev Tavshilin. A person had soup, but the soup had been cooked on Yontiv. It's now, they made an Erev Tavshilin. It's Yontiv Sheni now, and they just heated up the soup right before Shabbos. Are they allowed to eat the soup on Shabbos? The Erev Tavshilin really only um, is Matir, according to uh, the opinion of Rabbah in the Gemara, it only is Matir based on the Svara of Ho'io. Ho'io, that um, once you cook something on Yontiv, maybe guests will come. So therefore, it's not going to be like you're preparing from one day for the one day from the, from one day for the next day, because guests might come, and for purposes of preparing for Shabbos, we're going to be makel to rely upon holiel as long as you cook the food on erev yontiv on Friday with enough time that it can be eaten before Shabbos. But here, the person only reheated the soup mamish right before Shabbos. So he says, in terms of the reheating, he says since it got, became edible again, to remember. When you have a liquid that cooled off, we say that then yesh bishel acha bishel. So there's a problem in that case, even though it was previously fully cooked. But he says since it was already heated up for a number of minutes before Shabbos, so it reached the point of kamachal ben rusai, which is kind of an interesting comment that Rosh Schwartz makes, because kamachal ben rusai is really the shear for something to reach edibility so that you're allowed to eat it if it reached that shear on the stove before Shabbos. If it was a solid or a liquid, we generally require yad So maybe he means the soup is sort of like combination liquid solids inside the soup. I don't know. But either way, let's assume it was yad so lettuce bowl. And it was also... Um, at least one third uh, cooked 
So Schwartz said, that's not going to be a problem. But what about the fact that it was only reprepared right before Shabbos? So then he quotes from the Mishnah Burr and the Be'er Alaka, very straightforward. I have it in the materials. Simon Tov Kov Kov Zayin, when the Mishnah Burr says that in a bind, there are a number of ashitos that say in the Gismashmos of the Gemara and Beit. So also is that Me'ikaradzin, um, we really do paskin like Rav Chista, who says that Sochi Shabbos Nasim B'yomtov, that the main reason we rely on Erev Tavshilin is because you actually would Me'ikaradzin be allowed to cook altogether from Shabbos, uh, from Yomtov to Shabbos. Just, you know, we don't allow it because you might get confused and prepare from Yomtov to a regular weekday, which would be an Isser Deraisa. So therefore, um, he says that even if you didn't have the svar of Orchin, of guests who would have been able to eat it, you'd be allowed to eat it. And certainly, if at the time in which you did the cooking was on Yom Tov Sheni, because Yom Tov Sheni is more common than Yom Tov Rishon. So Schwartz says, brilliant! That's exactly the case that we're dealing with over here. Simon Yud Gimel, Binyan Shidurim Televizia, Yom Tov, I don't know what was going on over here. There was some sort of a Kiru program where they were preparing like Torah lessons and the, pe- the uh, people who were showing the program wanted for this television, I don't know what state or country this was in, wanted to be able to um, display the, uh, uh, the, the television program on uh, Shabbos uh, itself. So Schwartz um, simply points out that we generally assume that uh, the problem of uh, setting up a mill uh, before Shabbos that's going to do grinding on Shabbos is not only according to the opinion of uh, Beis Shammai that you need your kalim to rest on Shabbos, but even according to the opinion of Beis Hillel, if something's going to make a lot of noise, it's going to be of Shemilsa, it's not going to look good, um, so then we uh, it's going to make a lot of commotion on Shabbos, then you can't even set it up uh, before Shabbos, and the Ramah Paskins uh, that way, L'Halacha, um, so therefore he says, based on of Shemilsa, and also he says, this kind of like a Maris Ayan thing because people will think that, you know, who, the rabbis who put together these Torah messages are authorizing for it uh, to be shown on, uh, on, on, on it wasn't Shabbos, it was authorizing it to be shown on Yantiv. Yantiv is just the same concern as Shabbos in this respect. And therefore, based on Av Shemilsa and, um, uh, and Maris Ayan, he prohibited it. Last Shuba, quickly, Kriyasa Megillah of a telephone. Can you read the Megillah over a telephone? But Moshe Feinstein says that, oh, even if you say it's just sound waves, don't you think it's just sound waves when I'm talking to you right now? You hearing my voice? No, it's going through the air and, and generating all these different sound waves. So therefore, if you could be Yotze with my voice, so he says, but the Ebed, you could be Yotze over the telephone for Abdullah, and he says from Megillah as well. Um, and um, therefore, um, he thinks that it's a writer of Shlomo Zaman Orbach said, people who pask in that way, like Ramosha with Chief Asa Frank, also pask in that way, they don't understand the science! about telephones and zooms and whatever work. He says that, that you know, when you're talking, so it's basically that the, the person's voice is uh, just uh, being, you know, carried um, and uh, maybe altered a little bit, but, you know, but when you're talking over a telephone, um, so then it's converted into sound waves completely. It's not the person's voice. It's something else. It's like Mrs. GPS. It's something else which is uh, generated, which is not a human being altogether, though so it might be a reasonable facsimile for one, but he, so, therefore, uh, Schwartz says you should, Shomazaman said you can't rely upon him. Schefter in Shlita uh, in connection with the COVID and Zoom said that since a Megillah reading is only Durabanan, uh, therefore Bishas Adkaki to rely upon Ashitas Yachid, uh, certainly a very formidable Shitas Yachid like Rav Moshe Feinstein. So he says Bishas Adkaki could rely upon it. Rav Schwartz didn't even quote Rav Moshe. He quoted the Minchas Olazer who is Matir over the telephone as well.
laws of Tzibay Safrank, and therefore, remember, of course, a special sensitivity for people in the army, so even before the whole COVID crisis arose, Rav Schwartz already was mekaving to what Rav Shechter's, you know, sock would be in that context, that Peshat Sotchaki would be allowed to rely upon reading the Megillah over telephone, though obviously the Chatzchila person, you know, should hear it from somebody else to learn how to read it by himself um, uh, from a clock. We'll stop here. Yeah.